welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Alright, so if you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you uh, turn them. If you haven't got your Bible with you, we do have church Bibles just on the ground there. Uh, you can pick that up. And if you would like to take that home with you, if you haven't got a Bible, you're welcome to take that as a gift from Follow Baptist Church. So we're going to uh, do our Bible reading, and it's also up the top there, from Matthew uh, chapter 27, uh, from verses 62, and it's going to go through to 28 to verses uh, to verse 10. Some from verse 62 through to 2810. The next day, that is after the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the impostors said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. The last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn, Of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was light, light like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Good morning, everyone. Christ is risen. Excellent. Make no doubt about it. Today is the greatest day in the Christian calendar, in fact, in human history. Uh, Good Friday is good. Uh, Christmas Day is great, but uh, Resurrection Sunday is absolutely spectacular. Today, we remember an empty tomb, and we remember that we have full hearts as a result. Hearts full of hope, hearts full of life, because Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death. In fact, the whole Christian faith hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the resurrection of Christ did not occur, then we're wasting our time being here. We're wasting our time gathering to worship each week. We're wasting our time coming to church. We're wasting our time with Christianity. 
And I don't know about you, but I don't like doing things that are a waste of time. I remember when I was at Bible college, I got asked to do a 3,000 word essay. It was a deeply theological essay, and so it required hours of research in the library, uh, lots of thought about it. I had to study it, wrestle with it, and in the end, I wrote an essay on it. Now, in the week leading up to handing that essay in, I thought I'd give it to the lecturer to get them to have a bit of a look at the draft and perhaps give me some guidance on how it could be even better. You see, essays are not something that come naturally to me. Uh, at high school, I always struggled with essays. In fact, I remember one time when I was in year nine, I was given a short story essay to do. And the problem with that was that I only realized the night before that it was actually due, um, which was kind of common practice for me. I was never that conscientious at school. Um, luckily for me, I had a brother who was a genius. Uh, he's here today, Mark. Uh, he was in year seven at the time, and I was in year nine. And so I did what I usually did, and I went to him in a bit of a panic. And I said, Mark, I have this short story essay that's due in tomorrow, and I need your help. And he said, I can't help you. I've got my own things to do. Uh, you should have planned better. That was usually his response. And so I didn't know what to do, but I had a brainwave. I said, Mark, have you handed in anything recently um, that you've received back? And he said, yes. And I said, well, how did you do with that? And he said, I got an A. And I thought, well, an A in year seven is probably a C in year nine, and that's better than usual, so give me that essay. And so I took the essay, and I looked over it, and I thought, what can I do to this to kind of make it mine? And then I had another brainwave, and I realized I could just get the rubber out, rub off Mark Williams, and make it Luke Williams. And now the essay was completely mine. I've repented. Uh, Resurrection Sunday is a good time to get it all out in the open. But I handed in the essay. And two weeks later, I got it back. And the very same essay that Mark got an A for in year seven, I got an A plus for in year nine. (laughs) Now who's smarter? You decide. (laughs) Getting back to the original story, I was doing an essay at Bible College and I'd finished the essay and my lecturer read through it and he said, it's a great essay, Luke. And I said, thank you. I thought it was. So that's great to know. I'm on the right track. And then he said, there's only one small problem with the essay. I thought, well, small, we can work with that. He said, the small problem is this, that the essay topic you've chosen is not for this year's subject, it's from last year's paper. And so I had just read the sheet wrong. And so this nice essay, perhaps the best essay I'd ever written in my life, I'd been living and breathing this essay, but the truth is that it was now completely useless. It was a complete waste of time and I had to start again. None of us like doing things that are a waste of time. And the Apostle Paul says the same thing about our faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, he said, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile, it's useless, it's worthless, and you are still stuck in your sins. Everything hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the same chapter, Paul says that he wants to pass on the things that are of most importance in our faith. He says, these are the things that are most important, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared after that to Peter, then to the 12 and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were still living but some had since passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and then finally to the apostle Paul, he appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Paul is saying that the resurrection is a key part of our faith and everything hangs on this historical truth. 
And so if the resurrection is so important and it's so central to our faith, if all of Christianity hangs on the resurrection, it would make sense that people would try and disprove it. And many people have tried over the years. Some people say it was just a big, giant conspiracy that Jesus didn't really die, um, but he just got put in the tomb and, um, and, and he sort of sort of swooned on the cross. He kind of fainted. He didn't actually die. But when he was placed in the tomb, the cold air of the tomb kind of woke him up and then he kind of escaped from the tomb himself. Others say it was a conspiracy because um, the disciples actually broke into the tomb and stole the body. Others say that when he appeared after the resurrection, it was just simply a whole bunch of people uh, with wishful thinking. They were kind of hallucinating, imagining that they had seen him. Now, I don't want to turn today's sermon into a huge apologetic sermon because there's other things I really want to focus on today. But I think there are a few things worth mentioning in response to some of these things in defense of the resurrection. The first one is in response to the accusation that the disciples stole the body. Uh, the passage that we read today, that Sanjeev read for us, we, we read in that passage that this was the one thing, the one thing the religious leaders wanted to stop. You see, when Jesus was on earth, he made all sorts of claims about who he was and what he was going to do. To most people, they saw those claims as completely outrageous. Uh, he said that he was a son of God. He also said that he would die. And on the third day, he would be raised to life. Now, at this point of the story, the death part has already happened. But the religious leaders now want to make sure that the resurrection part doesn't. Uh, is it easier to say that you'll die? Or is it easier to say that you'll be raised from the dead? Uh, everything Jesus said about himself hinged on the fact that he would rise from the dead. And so the religious leaders wanted to do everything they could to stop that happening. They didn't believe that Jesus was who he said who he, he was. And so the only reason they thought this could possibly happen is if the disciples got into the tomb, stole the body and said, surprise, he rose exactly like he said he was going to. Now it's worth noting that while the religious leaders remembered what Jesus had said about his resurrection, it seems that all the disciples, his closest friends, had actually forgotten or at the very least they'd lost faith. They were in a state of shock. They were in a state of mourning that their Messiah and friend was dead and we heard on Good Friday that they all fled and they deserted him. Even when he did reappear after his resurrection, even then they found it difficult to believe. You might remember Thomas saying, I, I want to feel it for myself. I want to see it for myself. I want to see the wounds. I want to put my fingers in the nail holes, in, in his hands, in his side. He said, unless I see those nail marks and put my finger where the nails were, I won't believe. But the religious leaders, they hadn't forgotten and so even after Jesus' death, they're still scheming. They're still plotting. In verse 64, it says that they gave orders to make the tomb secure. Now, the first thing they did, we saw in the video a moment ago, they took a huge stone and they rolled it in front of the entrance of the tomb. Now, this was so big that it would take multiple men to be able to move it. And then just to make sure, they said, we don't want you just to put the big rock there, but we want you to seal all the way around it. So it's impossible to get in. There's no one getting in and there's certainly no one getting out of that tomb. It's then said that they put a guard on the tomb. In fact, a bit later in chapter 28, verse 4, we read that it wasn't just one Roman guard, but it was guards plural. All of these things, I believe, rendered it impossible for the disciples to actually break into the tomb, steal the body and get away without being caught. We then also have the medical um, you know, expertise, the medical evidence. In John's gospel, it says that the guards who performed many crucifixions they saw Jesus and they knew that he was a dead man. 
But just to prove it, they took a spear and they shoved it through his side and they pierced his side. And it said when they did that, out poured blood as you would expect, but it wasn't just blood that poured out, it was also water. Now, in crucifixion, there was two ways that you would usually die during a crucifixion. One way is from hypovolemic shock. It's the prolonged rapid heartbeat that results from that shock that causes fluid to gather around the sac around the heart. The second common way, and this is the most common way of dying during a crucifixion, was from what they would call asphyxiation. Basically, when people couldn't hold themselves up any longer, they would fail to be able to breathe. They were unable to breathe enough oxygen to survive. And so at the point of the death, once again, fluid would build up around the heart. And so when the spear went in and blood came out, but also water, it medically showed that Jesus was in fact dead. His death was also recorded in secular historical records, and so it's a known fact that Jesus did die. He didn't just faint or swoon on the cross, he was dead. The other claim was that Jesus, after raising up in the tomb, then escaped himself. Well, this would be an incredible miracle for Jesus to escape himself. After being severely flogged, and beaten, hanging on a cross for many hours, and having a spear thrust into his side, he would then need to unwrap himself from all the grave clothes that were tightly wrapped around with about 50 kilos of spices included. He'd then have to place the grave clothes there neatly, because that's how they found them. He would then have to muster up the strength to push aside the massive stone by himself, breaking the seal, overpowering the guards, escaping, and then convincing over 500 people that he was in fact Jesus, including some of his closest friends. On top of all of that, he would then have to evade capture for the rest of his life when everyone would have been looking for him, eventually dying with his remains never ever being discovered. I would have to say, I think that is very, very unlikely. In fact, I would step over the line and say, that sounds like something that would be impossible for someone to do. So I think all of that is enough evidence for me that the resurrection actually happened, but I actually don't think it's the greatest evidence. I think the greatest evidence of the resurrection is found in the lives of his disciples. In the passage I read to you a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 15, it mentions some of the people that Jesus appeared to, and the first person it mentions is Peter. Now, Peter, uh, just a few days before, is the same man who denied he even knew Jesus three times. People came to him and said, you're one of the disciples. You're Peter. You were with Jesus. He said, no, 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 no. I never knew the man. Three times. He proved himself in the face of danger to be a complete coward. And so why would this man who, who was so scared of being arrested or being associated with Jesus now live the rest of his life in danger, eventually uh, dying for sharing the gospel and for his faith in the resurrection. Eventually, Paul was crucified himself, hanging upside down. Something changed. What changed is that he saw Jesus resurrected. We then have James. James was the second person mentioned in this passage. James was, in fact, Jesus' brother. Now, I have two brothers, and uh, I can imagine one day if my brothers called me over for a family conference, and they said they had some exciting news. I would be guessing on the way over what that news could be. Perhaps my younger brother's getting married. Uh, maybe Mark and Jody are having another child. That could happen any day. Who knows? <laughs> Jody is shaking her head saying, no chance. But it would be an exciting chance to gather, and I would gather around, and I can just imagine one of my brothers saying, I've got something I need to tell you. And as I lean forward to hear what it is, he says, I'm Jesus, the Messiah. I've got to say, I would have trouble believing that. 
I would have a lot of trouble believing that. I would say, yeah, no, no, you're not. And James was no different. As we read through the Gospels earlier on, it said that he was amongst the doubters, the scoffers. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it said even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, after the resurrection, it was a different story. James now not only believed Jesus was who he said he was, but he worshipped him and he ended up leading the entire church in Jerusalem. Now, for that to happen, to believe your brother, but not only to believe your brother, but to now worship him with your life, something significant changed. James saw Jesus resurrected from the dead and it validated his claim that he was who he said he was. We then have the 12 disciples who all fled and deserted him just earlier after his arrest. Each one of them, except for Judas, spent the rest of their life traveling around, sharing the gospel, proclaiming Christ as king. And ultimately, every one of them, except John, gave up their life for him. They were killed for their faith in the resurrection. John, they tried to kill, they couldn't. So they sent him to a deserted island where he wrote the book of Revelation. These are the same men who were scared stiff. The same men that fled now put their faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have 500 other people mentioned in the passage, different places at different times. And finally, we have the Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest miracle amongst that list. He hated Jesus. His whole life was dedicated to wiping out Christianity. He traveled from town to town, from place to place, persecuting, killing Christians, throwing them in prison. Until one day on the road to Damascus where he wanted to persecute a whole lot more Christians, the risen Jesus appeared to him and in one moment his life turned 180 degrees and instead of being a persecutor, or other, he became part of the persecuted. He became perhaps the greatest evangelist, apostle, church planter the world has ever seen. Something changed. There were many people who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ who were willing to die for their belief in who he was. For me, there's so much convincing proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But what I really want to focus on today is this. What does the resurrection mean for us? Why is it so significant to us as Christian people? There's two things I want to finish this sermon by talking about that the resurrection brings to us. And they are these things. The resurrection brings us hope and the resurrection brings us life. This time last year, I did a run for the kids in Melbourne. We ran through the Burnley Tunnel, we went over the Balti Bridge, and it was a wonderful experience. That was a complete lie. It was terrible. I hate running. And uh, it was painful. And I remember that day very well. These stumpy legs and this belly is not designed to run 16 kilometres. But we're doing it for a good cause. We were running to support a family whose little boy was very unwell. But I'll never forget the last three kilometres of that race. I thought I was going to die. I was in so much pain. My legs were hurting. I was out of breath. My face was like a beetroot. I had blisters all over my feet. And I remember thinking at times, is this ever going to end? Could this be the last day of my life? I don't know if I'm ever going to make it to the finish line. I can't see the finish line. It feels like I've been running for 50 k's already. And I just don't know if I can do this. And so I kept going and I kept going. And it wasn't until the last 500 meters when I finally spotted the finish line. And the moment I saw that finish line, for the last 500 metres, I sprinted all the way to the end. Now, people who know me would say, the reason you did that is because you're incredibly competitive. And there are a whole bunch of people in front of you, you wanted to now pass. And that is partially true. But the main thing was this, that the hope of the finish line actually changed everything. 
Hope came into my heart. I saw that this race could actually finish and that I could indeed finish the race. It had everything to do with hope. It's amazing what hope does. It's a powerful thing. Just this week, I saw hope in action. The highlight of my week was visiting a local family. The chaplain of a local primary school rang me up last week and she said, she got our number from the website and she gave me a call and she said, there's a family in the local community that are doing it really tough. She went on to tell me that they had two kids and their third one was about to be born. Uh, he has been born now. The mum is completely blind, can't see a thing. Their four-year-old boy has leukaemia. Dad is trying to work and care for the family at the same time. And they don't have much in terms of family in Australia. In fact, her mum has just flown over from the US for the next eight days to help them out. Their life is very difficult. It's a slog. And this chaplain said to me those magic words. She said, can you help? I love those words. Yes, we can help. We're a radically generous church. We want to bless our community. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people that we encounter here in this local community. And so I said, yes, we can help. And so this, this week I had the opportunity to visit them. And because of the generosity of so many people in our church, we've been able to provide for them in many practical ways. We've got meals sorted out for the next couple of weeks. Uh, one of our small groups, our MCG groups, has started putting together packs. Uh, one huge bag was full of cleaning supplies, dishwasher and washing machine and all sorts of powders and stuff. And the other pack was full of personal care items. Uh, shampoo and conditioner and soap and and all that stuff. So I I took the meals over and I took the two huge bags in there. We were able to buy a gift for the newborn baby. We gave them nappies, eggs, long-life food. And when I arrived at their home last Thursday evening, it was five minutes just after they'd received a call from the Royal Children's Hospital saying the next day that their four-year-old was going into the Royal Children's Hospital for a bone marrow transplant and that he would be there for the next three months. They were very emotional. There were tears, there were hugs, there were handshakes, there were thank yous. And it was such a powerful moment. And I was reflecting on that for the rest of the week ever since. And I was thinking to myself, why is it powerful? Uh, The things we've given them hasn't changed their their major circumstances. The mum can still no longer see. She, uh, The little boy hasn't been healed from leukaemia. And so why is there a glimmer of hope? Well, it was powerful because a glimmer of hope did come. Maybe there is some people who care. Maybe there is a community that can help. Maybe together we can get through this. Hope is a powerful thing because it picks us up from our present situation and it gives us a glimpse of a preferred future even if nothing's yet changed in the present. Resurrection gives us hope on the most profound level. In this passage that was read today, we see hope realised by the women who first arrived at the tomb. Picking it up at verse 1 of chapter 28, it says, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Here's a little nugget for the women today. The men saw the angel and they went, ah, and and died. The women saw the angel and they stayed on their feet. It's a little bit like that at our house when the kids vomit. Kim's like, let's just, she just springs into action. Let's get this cleaned up. I'm in the background going, I'm dry reaching. 
the women are just so much stronger than men in so many ways. And in this case, the women stay on their feet. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. I love this. Come and see and then go and tell. That's what our faith is all about. It's coming and meeting Jesus, experiencing him, knowing him as our Lord and Savior. And then it's going and telling everyone else about him. He has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet full of joy. It's what hope does. It doesn't necessarily change the current situation, but it does allow us to have joy in the midst of it. Resurrection brings hope. These women went to the tomb to visit a dead man, but they found that he was alive. Where there was no hope, there was now great hope and there was great joy. Romans chapter 8 tells us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you and I as believers in Jesus. I want you to get your head around that for a moment. The same power that took a a three-day-old corpse and breathed life into him, raising from the dead, the same power is resident in those who believe. That should give us incredible hope in whatever we're going through, whatever circumstance we face. Broken relationships, they can be resurrected through Christ. Lost dreams, big mistakes, you're physically sick, emotionally broken. There's nothing that God can't breathe new life into. There's nothing he can't redeem and restore because resurrection power resides in every person who believes. There's no doubt life is sometimes incredibly tough. It's tough for the family I just mentioned. It's tough for many other people in this world. But resurrection brings us hope because there's a finish line. The finish line may be the end of our life, but it's only ever the starting line of something even greater. We can keep going because the hope, the resurrection brings us for all eternity. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but we lift our eyes to what is not seen, since what is seen is only ever temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The resurrection brings us incredible hope that even the things that seem dead can be brought back to life in Christ. And that's the second thing. Resurrection brings hope. The resurrection brings life. Jesus said that he came to bring life and to bring life to the full, life in abundance. And I believe he's talking about life here and now, but ultimately seen in eternity. But there's no doubt that Jesus can help us in our current life. He's always with us. He can help us in whatever circumstances we go through. Just last week here uh, in this church, we had a baptism service and a number of people were baptized. And Catalina was one of those people and she stood up here to give her baptism testimony. And she gave us a little glimpse of what life was like before she met Jesus. And it was a pretty dark place. Severe depression, suicidal thoughts, even thoughts of harming her young son. We look at Catalina now and you would say it's hard to believe it's the same person. She's a delight to be around. She's full of joy. She's encouraging. She's full of hope. She's full of life. And if you ask her what the difference is, she said there's only one thing that happened. She met Jesus. Jesus came into her life and breathed something new into her life. Resurrected the areas that were dead 
and brought them back to life. Things still aren't perfect and they won't be until Christ returns, but they're certainly a lot better now that she's encountered Christ. In the passage today, we read that one of the first people at the grave was a lady called Mary Magdalene. We would read this passage in isolation and we might think that she's just a regular person, a committed follower of Jesus. But if we look back to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8, we see that she was possessed by seven demons, terrorized, afflicted, overwhelmed, a miserable life. But after coming to know Jesus, she had her life turned completely upside down in the best possible way. She could now live a normal life. She could enjoy life. She could function normally. And through a relationship with Christ, she encountered something completely new. Each of us can experience a similar thing in Christ. He cares about where we are now, but he cares even more about where we'll be eternally. The truth is that if you're a Christian here today, you've already undergone a spiritual kind of resurrection. The Bible says that before Christ comes into our lives, we are dead in our sin, literally dead, separated from God. There's no spiritual pulse. There's no spiritual heartbeat. It's just nothing but darkness. But the moment Jesus comes into our heart, something changes. All of a sudden, there's a pulse. Once again, there's a heartbeat. And the Bible says we're no longer dead in our sin, but we come alive in Christ. Resurrection is a wonderful thing, to be alive in Christ. And it's only possible to have that kind of change in our lives because of the resurrection. Easter weekend's kind of a bizarre weekend, isn't it? Starts off with with Good Friday and it's kind of a sad day. We remember the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus. It's a sad, somber day as we remember what he had to endure because of us. But then we come to Easter Sunday a couple of days later and we remember his resurrection. And today we come with great celebration and incredible joy knowing that the God we serve, unlike any other God in any other world religion, he's not dead, but he's actually alive. And he's coming back for his people. Today we can celebrate life and life eternal. But I think it's really important on Resurrection Sunday not to forget Good Friday. It's so important to look back and to remember what Jesus went through. And if you do that, it's really powerful because it gives us a glimpse of what makes Easter Resurrection Sunday so amazing. And so today I want to finish this sermon by doing an exercise. Who likes exercise? No one. Okay, we're going to do it anyway. Lift your hands in the air. Great. Excellent. Put them down again. Lift them up again. Shake them around. Put them down again. Great, that had nothing to do with it. You can close your eyes now. (laughs) Everyone close your eyes. I want you to use your imagination for a moment. I just wanted to make sure you're awake before we do this. I want you to, with your eyes closed, imagine what Jesus went through that day, Good Friday. I want you to do your best not to just imagine what he went through, but I want you to try and feel what Jesus went through. Before he even made it to the cross, he had been falsely accused and convicted of of something he didn't even do. I want you to think back in your own lives, if you've been hurt by someone, if you've been betrayed, if you've been accused of things that you didn't do, you will remember how much that hurt. Jesus was feeling that at the cross. Before being crucified, it says he was severely beaten and flogged. Every part of his body battered. If you've ever hit your finger with a hammer or jammed your finger in a door, you'll probably try and imagine today the immense pain that that would bring. Now times that by a hundred and you might get an idea of what he was feeling in that moment. 
They said he was whipped on his back over and over and over again. I want you to imagine the stinging. Whip after whip after whip until his back looked like mincemeat, blood pouring from it. They then took a crown of thorns and they twisted each thorn about an inch or so thick, uh, long. And they took that crown of thorns and they didn't gently place it on his head, but they rammed it down into his skull. If you've ever had a splinter, you might think about how painful just that tiny splinter can be. Now imagine all those rammed down into his head. Now imagine his arms stretched out on the cross and his feet put together. And a six-inch nail being thumped through his wrists and through his ankles with a huge hammer. The pain. If you've ever stepped on a nail or had a pin stick into you, you can imagine the pain that he would be feeling. As well as all of that, all of his friends had betrayed him and fled. He was left alone. Strangers, guards and religious leaders all mocked him, spat on him, struck him. He was completely alone and we read on Good Friday he was even abandoned by God the Father. He went completely dark. With your eyes closed, trying to imagine the sweat pouring down his face. The blood and water gushing out as they thrust a spear up into his side. The physical agony, the emotional turmoil, turmoil, the spiritual rejection as he died on the cross. Now with your eyes shut, I want you to keep imagining that, but just change one small detail. Instead of imagining Jesus, now imagine it's you. Your tears, your blood, your pain, your suffering. Imagine it's you because it should have been. Should have been you. It should have been me. He hung there for our sins. You can open your eyes again this morning. John Stott once said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Let me say that again. Before we can see the cross as something done for us, We need to see it as something done by us. Jesus hung there because of our sin. The Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers, they physically put him there, but it was our sins that nailed him to that cross. In that moment, Jesus got what we deserve, but when we accept what he did, we get what he deserves, and that's relationship with God the Father. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if it was us who died, and it should have been for our own sins, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We deserve to pay that death penalty. If we had to die for our own sins, we would be left with no hope. We would be left with no life. We would be dead, buried, and forgotten. But by God's grace, it wasn't us. But rather, it was Jesus, God's own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die but will have eternal life. Jesus was God in human form, a truth that was validated, vindicated at the resurrection. And so what does all this mean for us? Well, if we've never received what Jesus did for us on the cross, what it means is this, that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for our lives and we're going to give an account for our sins. And as we read those things out, God's going to pronounce his judgment and the judgment is going to be guilty. All of us have sinned. The wages of sin is death. But if we have received what Christ did for us on the cross and we find ourselves in him and him in us, we also will stand before God and give an account for every part of our lives. We will outline our sins, all the things that we've done wrong. But at the end, God will pronounce his judgment and the judgment will be not guilty. 
Not because we're any better, not because we've done nothing wrong, but because we are in Christ. And in Christ, he paid the punishment that has to be paid for sin. He was nailed to the cross for our sin. And so not only did he die the death we deserve to die, but when he rose from the grave, he defeated death. And so in him, you and I, because of the resurrection, can also defeat death and have life and life eternally. Today is a wonderful day because we celebrate that Jesus didn't only pay the price for our sin, but at the cross through his resurrection, he conquered death. And the Bible teaches that he was the first fruits of resurrection. In other words, what happened to him being raised to life is going to happen to you and it's going to happen to me if we accept what he did for us at the cross. I want to finish with Paul's words once again from 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today is a great day. Today we remember an empty tomb, and we remember full hearts, hearts full of hope. Hearts full of life because Jesus is alive.